You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world. Another time. In the age of wonder. There was once a dream. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Or shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm going to have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith and trust. Well, if it isn't the Star Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders. Sprinkle some of that pixie dust around, think up that happiest thought, and let's fly away together to Neverland. Why are we going together? Well, because I'm Head Lost Boy, Jeremy the Spider Pan, so I can help lead the way. Because, you know, second start of the ride is kind of a nautical direction, and I don't want you to get lost. I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, it's not that important. Just follow me. Let's go, and we're going to have some fun today. Have some fun conversations, because I'm like I was saying last week, I'm trying to refocus this. We want this to be a lot about the fandom, uh, to add to the fun of everything. And so we're going to have some fun conversation. Uh, I want to share with you a little bit about what's been going on in my week and talk a little bit about a little question I posted out to our Twitter and Facebook pages. Uh, this week, though, uh, it was kind of a rough week. I had a funeral that I had to take a, a day off for to go to. Uh, with a, One of my aunts passed away last weekend. Uh, but while I was at the funeral, the, they mentioned that my wife, my, my, my aunt, my wife did come with me, by the way, yes. Uh, but my aunt had seemed to be doing better, and she seemed stronger and healthy. It seemed like she was doing well. Uh, you know, she'd been ill for a long time, but she suddenly seemed to be doing well, and then, you know, she was gone. And, uh, boy, when he said that, it really reminded me of my mother. Uh, she seemed to also, she had been sick for a good long time, and suddenly she started doing well. Uh, she was able to come to, to my birthday uh, that we had, and uh, she seemed to be doing fine. So I got one last good fun day uh, with her around uh, before she suddenly passed away. And uh, that got me in another train of thought, and I figured I would share this with y'all. I mean, I had a point to this, uh, but uh, I got to say it was nice to be able to travel down and see a lot of my relatives that I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, it's kind of a sad occasion. You're all together for a funeral, but it is nice to see everyone. But anyways, back to my mother. Uh, since my mother has passed away, I have had several dreams where I'm at a Disney park, and I always feel like there's limited time. My mother is always there, and I, I never got to go on a family Disney trip, so this is kind of an interesting thing. My mother is always there, and I'm always trying to figure out where the Haunted Mansion is. We never seem to be able to find it in most dreams. I have had some dreams where I, I get there, and it's different. I've even had one time the Haunted Mansion had like a restaurant inside the building, and then you could see people going through the attraction, but it's you know it's never quite the same attraction of, of the real life. In these dreams I have, they're it's a completely different park, but it's a Disney park, but I'm there with my mother and some other family. But it's just, it's kind of an odd thing that I've, I've had this dream 
many, 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 many times. I I was thinking about ten times, but it's probably been more than that. Uh, so I, you know, I kind of wondered though, is there anybody else? I mean, have you uh, lost a family member and, but you have dreams with them and have you been in a Disney park with them in a dream? Uh, I thought it was very interesting and I don't know what my mind might be trying to communicate with me about that. I kind of wonder cause I keep having it. Uh, so I just thought it was very, very interesting, but it's, it's also very interesting to me that every time I have the dream, there's, it's, I always know that I have a limited time. That's always part of it, is that I, I know my time is short and we have to hurry and do these type of things. Uh, but I just thought I'd share that. I thought it was kind of interesting. Wanted to give you all the reminder, though, uh, and I hope I get to come back to it. <laughs> it's it's going to be a very busy semester. I'm doing a lot of uh, I'm doing a sports broadcasting class, and on Saturdays I'm going to be going down and uh, helping to broadcast the uh, University of Central Missouri football games and also some volleyball games. So Saturdays are going to be a little up in the air, but I do intend to still continue to play Kingdom Hearts and stream that to probably Twitch and then upload to YouTube. Uh, but make sure you follow on Twitch. I think on Twitter, Twitch you just can find me as Spiderpan. Uh, I'm trying to get to where uh, a lot more games I play are going to stay on Twitch and not just go away as soon as after I'm done playing them. That way, if you don't catch me when I'm live, you can still come and check it out. You know, basically, I'm just having some fun. Uh, I played some old arcade games uh, on Twitch that are still up there for viewing. Uh, I plan on getting a version of those up onto the YouTube channel as well. So make sure you're checking out all the stuff. I'm trying to basically just have some fun stuff that I can share with you. Uh, another thing that was kind of fun, and if you happen to follow me directly on Facebook, uh, this. This came actually from The Real Brian Show. There was this personality test that, uh, let's see, it was uh, the, well, E-N-N-E-A Graham test. Uh, .net. Uh, you know what? I should put a link to this in the show notes. Uh, but it's on my Facebook page, my personal page. But uh, it was this personality test, and I, I think it's a fairly new uh, style of tests. But uh, it's very interesting what I came up with. You get, like, three different numbers. And I want to read to you what my number one number was. I was number seven, which is known as the Enthusiasts. And it says, Enthusiasts are energetic, lively, and optimistic. They want to contribute to the world. It says, How to get along with me? Give me companionship, affection, and freedom. Engage me in stimulating conversation and laughter. Appreciate my grand visions and listen to my stories. Don't try to change my style. Accept me the way I am. Be responsible for yourself. I dislike clingy or needy people. And don't tell me what to do. What I like about being a seven, being optimistic and not letting life's troubles get me down, being spontaneous and free-spirited, being outspoken and outrageous, it's part of the fun, being generous and trying to make the world a better place, having the guts to take risks and try exciting adventures, and having such varied interests and abilities. What's hard about being a seven, it says, not having enough time to do all the things I want, boy is that ever true, not completing things I start, I, that you, I can't even tell you how many books I never finish, even when I'm writing one, I don't always finish, uh, not being being able to profit from the benefits that come from specializing, not making me and making a commitment to a career, although I have a commitment to things now, but I went a long time where I couldn't really commit to a career. Uh, having a tendency to be ungrounded, getting lost in plans or fantasy, that happens a lot. I, I get bold ideas, but I don't always... I find a way to actually do them and ground them. Uh, and then feeling confined when I'm in a one-to-one -one relationship. That scared my wife a little bit. <laughs> but Because I've been in a one-to-one -one relationship for pretty much my most of my adult life <laughs> you know, with her. Uh, but I do find, I don't feel confined in there. Uh, I'm, I really enjoy having my wife around. So, But I thought this was an interesting test. Uh, I'll try to put a link up on the show notes. Uh, I'm not sure that I got this out onto my Twitter feed because I think I just put it on my personal Facebook. 
Uh, but I thought it was a very interesting thing. And those of you that have maybe been with me for a while, uh, you probably see some of these personality bits come out. And if not, then that's something I'm working on uh, to give you more of myself into the podcast so you get a chance to really know me and who I am. And I'm getting a chance to know who you are. I had a question out this week, posted, of course, to Twitter and our Facebook. Make sure you join our fan page or our Facebook group, and you can see where these questions come up, and I love hearing from you. And this week I asked the question, what sort of games do you like to play with your family? Now, the reason why I ask this is I recently purchased one of those NES Classic uh, machine devices, whatever you want to call it, you know, so it's basically this tiny little Nintendo with 30 games on there. And I got it mainly because my wife was wanting to play uh, the Kirby game that is part of that. She used to play that a bit when she was a child from a cousin that had it. And so I really wanted to get it for her because I'm always looking for games that we can play together. Uh, overall, my review of the thing, it is definitely worth getting. It's been fun. I haven't gotten to play a whole lot because I'm really, really a busy guy, especially during this semester. Uh, but I got to play a little bit of that Kirby game. Uh, the one flaw I could say in the design is that you have from each game, you can save every game and, and a little slot it gives you beneath. But if you load from those saves, whatever saves are inside the game get lost. For example, The Legend of Zelda, you know, you could save your game, your progress inside, you know, from the cartridge. Well, if you were to do it like a cartridge, that would be fine. But if you use the extra safer feature of this device, every time you load from one of those saves, it wipes out whatever saves are inside of the actual game. The convenient thing is you would be able to save again, you know, but you have to remember each time you play to go and save your progress down uh, on the menu screen, uh, which I, I don't exactly know how it went that direction, but I do know that it was a good idea, I think, to have that saved because a lot of games like Metroid was a password system so you couldn't really save your progress so I like that I can save my progress on Metroid or Tecmo Bowl and you know things like that so very 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 cool uh, but we're you know we're having some fun with it my wife is getting to spend a lot of time to play with things and I think it's helping her de-stress from her teaching job so I do recommend that but that's what brought on this question it's like you know this was about being able to play things together with my wife and she did answer the question. Uh, she listed Worms, Overcooked, and Anything We Can Play as a Team. Worms, if you've never played that, it's really fun. Although we don't, we can play as a team, but you can also play Versus. But Worms is this video game where you're, you're playing as the Worms, and you have different weapons, you're trying to blow each other up, basically. It's an older game. They, they keep coming around with new versions. There's probably one on whatever console system you're playing on. It's a lot of fun. Overcooked is actually a game we learned about from the Glove and Boots YouTube channel, which I really wish they could make new episodes. That kind of got messy with some of the changes of YouTube, kind of shut them down. But they used to, they would play games with Glove and Boots, and they, Glove and Boots, they had these two puppet characters, Mario and Fafa. Uh, and they would play Overcooked, and that's basically, you get to, you can play up to four people. You're trying to run a kitchen, and so you're making different things, and it has different ingredients that are, you know, for each thing, and you have to move the dish along and try not to burn it, and then serve it, and then clean the dishes. And so it's a lot of fun just, you know, coordinating with the kitchen, but something weird or wacky will be going on with the particular kitchen you're working on. You might be uh, on two vans going, you know, by and they're not always linked up, so you can't always cross the other side of the kitchen. Or you might be on a, a pirate ship that's, you know, leaning back and forth and making all your tables slide back and forth. You know, so it's got all these crazy challenges to make it hard for you to get all your stars to advance to the next thing. Uh, but it's a lot of fun, although you get to a certain point, it becomes very frustrating to try to get through because you're trying to coordinate with a team and uh, or, or even with your partner, and it gets really challenging. But we have played that. I don't know if we're going to come back to it because I think we hit to a spot, and I looked at Heather, and I said, I think we're not going to get through this level. Let's not drive ourselves crazy. <laughs> but... 
you know, it's fun to play games together as couples, as families. And, uh, well, heck, Pixie Kitten Marie uh, just mentioned Disney Seen It. Uh, which, you know what, I don't think I've played any of the Seen It games, but I think it's similar to Trivial Pursuit, but it's like a DVD game. Uh, that would be fun. Uh, I've never played anything like that. Um, I had also, Melissa says, Heroescape is like D&D, but with landscape and players. You build your Game Boy, pick your player, and battle. And she sent some pictures uh, to my Facebook page, and it's basically these hexagonal pieces that you can kind of build and stack, and you create your own little area, and then you play your characters on there. Uh, sounds like it would be a lot of fun. I think I've heard of it before, but I always forget the name of it. Uh, and I think I've talked to her, Melissa about this before, and she showed it to me. Uh, we also heard from Deanna, who mentioned Shark sorry and memory so it's very fun you know having board games as part of this thing you know because I was thinking of course video games but you know maybe you play board games together uh, shark bite though I'm not sure you know there, I remember that shark attack game from a kid remember the shark week going around the board and you're trying to run away I never played it but I remember the commercials I don't know if shark bite is similar to that or, or not one game, though, that I have found fun and I like to have friends together around Halloween time is I have a Haunted Mansion life game that I got from Walt Disney World. I like to call it Afterlife because <laughs> it picks up from when you die and instead of getting married or whatever, you, you get a tombstone or whatever and then you can buy a grave instead of a house uh, and you get all these fun different things and there's a lot of things related to the ride. The artwork on the game board has things from the attraction. Uh, it's very fun. I really like playing it. I haven't pulled it out in a while, but yeah, you know, it's fun to play games together. And you know, if you want to continue to send me some different games you like to play, uh, podcast at neverlandpodcast.com. Send an email. Come go- join us on the Facebook page. I have a Discord page as well that I'm, I need to put some effort into building that up. It would be fun to be able to chat with y'all on Discord as well. But uh, so that's what I heard from you all this week. And now it's time to get into a little bit of Disney news. Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. This isn't the happiest news, uh, but this I got from MercuryNews.com. This is very, very interesting, but uh, the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that some plaintiffs in their 30 lawsuits that can proceed in lower court with claims against the Walt Disney Parks and Resorts, and they're saying there's violations of the Americans with Disabilities Act. This has to do with people that have severe autism, and they have troubles with social interaction and communication, and they have to have a strict routine, and they're saying that Disneyland needs to have have accommodation for a more structured routine, have no wait for their riders and stuff like that. Uh, because, you know, it's an awkward social situation, I guess, waiting in the line for an attraction and it doesn't feel, I guess, as scheduled and I guess someone who's severely autistic can have some troubles in there. Uh, and I want to read a quote here. They say, It says, Disneyland thinks everyone is trying to commit fraud, said Mission VAO. Well, this is interesting. Mission Viejo is actually close to a... It's a character from a Star Wars uh, Old Republic game. Knights of the Old Republic. That's interesting. But, uh, okay, so this is, I guess, maybe an organization. But the the mom's name is Rebecca Goddard, uh, who has two boys, ages 9 and 11, and they both hit the autism spectrum. 
Uh, and I can understand why Disney would think somebody's trying to commit fraud because they're trying to be able to skip lines, I guess. And I don't know how you go... Because you know, Disney's very accommodating to disabilities, but something with autism, how do you show that, okay, you know, my kid has autism. How do you prove that to Disney that that's that that's going on i can so i can see that there could be some confusion uh but she says truthfully in my opinion disney really doesn't want us there anymore and i don't think that's the case because disney wants your money uh but they're now able to file lawsuits uh the the thing that i would question is you know i know autism can have a lot of problems and they can have meltdowns when things are not going right they have a hard time in these situations uh personally if i had a child who was dealing with that I don't think I would want to bring them into that situation until I felt that they had gone far enough in treatment to be able to deal with it a little better. Because, I mean, why why put that much stress on the child? That's my own opinion. Uh, and I know a lot of people with you know autism, you kind of adjust as they get older and they get better. And so I might wait until they were older and maybe see if they can deal with, with the crowds or being in that situation. Uh, and and then bring them to a Disney park, and I wouldn't bring them when they're when they're still having that time because you're causing a lot of undue stress to that child. And I don't know if necessarily being able to hop the line is going to always help with that. And I don't know if there's a way that you know you can be able to prove that yes, the child is autistic uh, because yeah, a lot of people would just exploit that to try to skip lines. So I mean, it's a very difficult thing, and I'm sure Disney though is very willing to be able to work with them. I mean, Disney's great about this type of thing, and it's. I really wish it didn't have to go to ugly lawsuits. I wish, you know, we could maybe get this figured out because I know a lot of people are dealing with autism and I would like for them to be able to visit the parks. But, you know, personally, I would wait until I felt that my child was able to deal with something like that because I wouldn't want my child to get stressed out or have a meltdown. All right, so the next thing we have... Now, this is a bit more interesting. This is actually came from Disney. Uh, there's something called Disney Aspire, and this is Disney investing in the employee's future with an unprecedented education program, uh, which actually just got launched. And let me read for you. This was a press release directly from the Walt Disney Company. It says, In January of this year, Disney Chairman and CEO Bob Iger announced an initial $50 million investment in a new and ongoing education initiative aimed specifically at Walt Disney Company's hourly workforce. Uh, and, and Bob Iger had said, I have always believed that education is the key to opportunity. It opens doors and creates new possibilities. And I believe we did cover that way back in January when I first found out about it. Uh, but it says, for more than the 80,000 hourly cast members and employees of the Walt Disney Company in the U.S., those doors unlock now with the launch of Disney Aspire, a groundbreaking education program for hourly employees in the United States. Uh, I am incredibly proud that Disney is embarking on this historic launch, says Jane Parker, who is a senior executive vice president and chief HR officer for the Walt Disney Company, who discusses this new potentially life-changing program for hourly workers. Okay, so here's what she says. I want to scan down and kind of get the nitty-gritty of this. Uh, so uh, she says, and they, they interviewed her, and they, they asked her what kind of support will employees and cast members receive. And she says, we have partnered with Guild Education, an organization committed to redefining the future of work and adult education. Guild will provide personalized coaching to help all employees and cast members that inquire about the program navigate their unique circumstances from application through completion and through every step along the way. We will also continue to evolve and expand Disney Aspire as we listen to the needs of our employees and cast members over time. 
Uh, she says, I'm personally very proud of this program with Bob Iger's support. Our team will set out to design the most comprehensive, flexible, and high-quality education investment program offered to employees today. I know Disney Aspire will enable employees to reach their educational goals and pursue career aspirations, including movement into new roles at Disney, as well as careers outside of the company, in terms of what employees and cast members will achieve with that. All I can say is, the sky's the limit. So this is very cool. So this is getting to see some of that investment that Bob Iger was talking about come into some fruition. So I'm really excited for the cast members. I kind of wish I worked there myself so I could jump in on this. I mean, this sounds really, really cool. And it's nice to see something helping cast members kind of advance their careers either with Disney or outside of Disney. But now I have to come back to a topic that keeps just rearing its ugly head and giving us new things to talk about a little bit. So I just want to talk about this a bit briefly. But Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is postponed. It's not canceled, but it's postponed. Pre-production was supposed to actually start this fall, but they've actually had to let some crew members go uh, because they were getting ready to prep, but right now you've got to look for a new person to run the ship, as it were. And they were supposed to start filming uh, either this winter, about January, February, and they were going to get going. So, I mean, there's still a lot of time before they were planning to film. Uh, but uh, it does mention here on The Hollywood Reporter that they are talking to Thor Ragnarok director Taika Waititi, and I'm probably saying his name wrong, but he oh, he did a great job with Thor Ragnarok. And I was saying before that I think that he would do a good job with the Guardians uh, property. Uh, but right now, no one knows exactly what they were talking about. So we don't know exactly what's going on, but... I'm still hopeful for that, that they were discussing the possibility of him taking on the project. Uh, but as that's going on, uh, of course, Dave Batista is still very vocal on Twitter uh, complaining about this. And he even had his response about, remember last week we did talk about that Disney is deciding they're definitely not going to rehire. And Dave Batista continues to attack Disney over that decision. You're not helping things, Dave Batista. You really are not. You're causing division. And that's all I want to say about it. Uh, and I, I really think this is going to hurt the third film with him being in it because, you know, we're Disney fans. We don't like it when people come against the company. And I know there's some of us that would like to have James Gunn back, but we don't want somebody who, you know, yeah, I, I don't want to get too far into this. I really don't. But I don't think this is helping anything. And so I wish he would stop doing that. I mean, I know there's some people that is agreeing, but don't add to the division. And I wish... Okay, I, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. I can't talk about that anymore. But here's something that uh, should also be interesting. They actually had to release a news story about this, but Marvel says a comic, which I'm not familiar with, called Champions, and it'll be the 24th issue. They plan on dealing with a school shooting. This comic is coming out September 12th. It has Miles Morales, the... Uh, other Spider-Man, <laughs> who's got a film coming up from Sony Animation. Uh, he's going to be the center, and there's going to be some trauma, and some. And they want to deal with the effect of gun violence in schools. Uh, so this, I'm sure, is going to, you know, I'm sure they've got some nice things to build to say, 
uh, that's this might you know definitely have an opinion on there on one side or the other and i'm sure gun control is going to get brought up in a thing it's going to get complicated even as i mean even today there's been something going on at a madden a, you know madden football tournament a video game tournament in jacksonville uh where there was some gun violence and you know i don't want to get into i don't want to take sides on anybody's uh, political issues on this but uh, i am definitely thinking and praying of everybody in Jacksonville dealing with that and with for the families dealing with our loss of family members. Uh, so this will, uh, this, when Marvel does things like this, part of me is like, oh, hey, good. Maybe you're going to get something positive going out there. Cause I would like something positive, you know, that maybe helps in this sort of situation. But other parts of me say, well, you know, dealing with a big topic and getting it out there in the press is a good way to make a lot of money for selling that particular issue. So there's two ways to look at that. But I did find it interesting that they are going to do this. And uh, I'm curious what this issue is going to be about. Um, I mainly just pick up a few things. Uh, I have never picked up this book before, but I might pick up this one. Now some other interesting news for Star Wars Episode Nine. Dominic Monaghan, you'll know him mainly from Lord of the Rings as playing Mary. Uh, but he has been cast into Episode 9. He's joining some other newcomers like Naomi Aki, Richard E. Grant, and even Carrie Russell. We don't know anything about his character at all. Uh, there is a scoop about this on Slash Film, also on Deadline. This is popping up in a lot of places. I don't know if StarWars.com has said anything, but this is very cool. And, and how cool for Dominic Monaghan to be a part of now a big franchise again. So Lord of the Rings, now he's going to be in Star Wars. If he finds a way to get himself into the, uh, the Wizarding World films, then uh, I would call that a good trifecta to have. So yes, congratulations on getting the role, and I'm excited to see what part you will be playing in the film. And now for the rest of the show, we're going to take a listen to when Lost Boy Eric was at Disneyland for a Path of the Jedi. This is where they go through the entire saga leading up to an upcoming Star Wars film. And this is the 2.0 version. So we're going to take a listen to that. And then we'll move on and we'll listen to a Planet Comic Con panel that Eric and I attended with Tom Kane. And he was talking to some other voice actors about the career of voice acting. And I thought you all would enjoy to hear it. I've been sitting on this audio for a good long time. So please enjoy. Yes. Yeah. 
my sister has it. Yes, it's you, Leia. If you choose to face Vader, you will do it alone. There is good in him, I felt it.
I used to be. I like this thing. I like that Wookie. was Luke's. And now, it calls to you. Close your eyes. Feel it. The light. been there. It will guide you. The belonging you seek is not behind you. It is ahead. To Disney and beyond. Okay, so Tom, if anyone here is wanting to start out in voiceover, what would you tell them where to start? Well, this is probably the best time in history to, to try to get into voiceover work from places like Kansas City or, or any other you know medium-sized town because uh, the technology is there to make it possible. I mean, you, you know. If you have a laptop computer, you have the equivalent of what 25 years ago would have been about a half a million dollars worth of equipment. And it wouldn't yes. have sounded as good. Right, no, you're right. Uh, I mean, uh, especially when you consider video editing. I mean, you know, you can, you can buy a $1,500 laptop that has, you can edit in 4K resolution video with you know, 7.1 surround sound, and you know, honest, honest, no joke. You know, in the late 80s, early 90s, when I started, that was about a five million dollar room full of equipment, full room. and it's in your laptop now. So, um, there are lots of people who are able to record stuff at home, uh, submit it to an agent to try to, you know, get them to listen to it and hopefully represent them. Uh, the first thing you should do, though, if you're trying to get into this, is hit the internet and find out what's available in your city, uh, what uh, the local uh, producers are are looking for. Is it you know is you know different cities have different strengths. You know, I'm, uh, L.A. is movie trailers and and cartoons. You know, and, and all the other stuff. Uh, whereas New York has no movie trailers and no cartoons, but they've got a lot of commercials. Uh, Chicago has a, uh, you know commercials and a ton of uh, like non-broadcast stuff, uh, corporate communications, but they don't have any cartoons 
car trailers. Uh, actually, car trailers and trailers only exist in LA. So, unfortunately, if you want to get into cartoons, you have to relocate to Los Angeles. You, you just, there's no other way around it. it uh, you know, if I had tried... Unless you're Tom Kane. No, well, well but yeah, but I was established first. If I, you know, that's the only reason I was able to move back home here to Kansas City is because I was already, yeah, they knew who I was and they worked with me, so it wasn't a big leap to, to keep doing so. But to, for me to have tried to break into the business from here, it, it, it just, it can't be. Because they still, um, they still do cartoons like old radio dramas. They have all the actors come in and sit in a big arc or a square or a circle or whatever, depending on how many people there are, and everyone has their own microphone and their own stand and their own script, and we read it like an old radio drama. You know, it's like uh, the first take is cold. We've never seen the script before. We just read through it, and then we do another run through, which is hopefully better than the first one, and that's it. So when you watch a cartoon, you're listening to people who've read it two times. They read it cold at first, they read it a second time, and then the director will, as you're going through the second time, they'll say, well, give me another one of that, try to make it a little more, you know, angry or whatever. But that's about it. So you have to be good at reading cold. You have to be able to pick up a script and kind of wing it. So how would you say, I mean, obviously it's not just reading. There is acting involved. So. Should people sort out classes, or how should they go about? Well, yeah, well, classes are terrific for anybody. I mean, um, <clears throat> you know, you can, uh, uh, if you can find a place that does uh, uh, improv, acting classes are phenomenally helpful if you're trying to get into voiceover work because, you know, it teaches you to be, uh, you know, quick on your feet and quick on your brain and make up stuff. and. Especially when the director's going, I need you to do the, you know, and they, yeah. I mean, when we work together, I've heard directors tell you, uh, I need you to think that this is your environment, blah, 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 and go. Yeah. And you literally have to yeah. come up with something. So that, that, that's definitely a plus if you can find a way to take an improv class. It will, it, and, it, you know, and it doesn't just help you, even if you never do voiceovers, if you, you never pursue this in any way, an improv class would help you in, in so many other ways. Because I, one of the greatest fears, and this has been very well documented in surveys, public speaking, getting up in front of people like we're doing right now, is, is usually the number one fear people have. It terrifies them. It's like more than snakes, the idea of getting in front of a few hundred people and screwing up. And if you take any kind of improv class, that's all you do is screw up. You just you're making the stuff up, and you've got you know the rest of the classmates watching you, and you're in front of them. And by the time you're done with a class, uh, you know uh, of improv, you can walk out here in front of all of you guys, and you can do stuff, and you can screw up or do great or whatever, and you don't care. Now think about well that will translate to your business career, whatever it is you do. Don't care if you work at McDonald's or you're a CEO. If you are not afraid anymore to stand up in front of other people and say, here's the way it should go. I think you need to do this, I think you need to do this, and here's how I do this, and I do this, and like this, and everybody else will be like, wow, this, this guy knows his stuff. And, uh, you know, and that'll help you, like I said, it doesn't matter whether you're dropping french fries or, or dropping, you know, a billion dollars of stock and buying another company. You, you, if you sound like you know what you're doing, if you can fake that, 
I, I told me that it's, a, it's an old saw in the industry, but when I was 20-some years old, I was talking to a guy who was uh, one of the top voiceover guys in America back in the 19, late 80s. And when I was meeting him, my, my agent was introducing me to him because we had the same agent. And I said, would you, you know, do you have any advice? And he said, yeah, his, his name was Ernie Anderson, and he talked like this, and I'm, I'm leaving out all the spicy words he used to. Uh, <laughs> if you want to Google him, look up Ernie, the Ernie rap. And someone put together just nothing but Ernie cussing. But uh, he was a character, but he, he told me that. He said, he said, well, if you want to get anywhere in this business, you've got to, you've got to exude just warmth and, and believability and truth. And people have to think, you know, you, you really, really believe in what you're saying. And I'm like, okay, and then he goes, and when you can fake that, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, so anyway, Here's a resource, if you guys have a pen or a pencil, if not, we'll get it to you, but uh, there's a place called voicebank.net. Voicebank.net. It's a resource that is mainly intended for producers, mostly at ad agencies. But on voicebank.net, anybody can go there, no charge. They have the demo reels of every working voiceover person in the United States. There are thousands of them. I'm, I'm on there in seven different places, I, you know, in LA and Chicago and area. They all have some of my stuff up there somewhere. You can spend days listening to demos on voicebank.net. And if you want to get into voiceover work, I suggest you spend days listening to demos on voicebank.net because it'll tell you who your, your potential competition is. If, if you go through there and spend a few hours, you will start to notice if you're a woman and you're listening to women or men, men you'll start to notice their similarities that the guys in Chicago and the guys in New York, and Blue, there's a sound or several sounds, but a lot of it is common from one to another to another. Well, the reason you'll hear much of the same kind of reads in all these guys' demos and all these women's demos is because that's what they're buying. That's what the ad agencies are buying. And that's why it's on their demo. So you might do a phenomenal South African accent Congratulations. I've done this for almost 40 years and no one's ever asked me to do a South African accent. So um, don't waste can, your time. Can you do a South African accent? Uh, South African. Yeah, South African accent. It's like, it's like this. It's a little bit like Australia, but it's a little different. It's got like a little taste to it. Cole, doesn't that sound like our waitress? <laughs> you know, from from B-dubs? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it is, it's a tough one because I, I personally drifted to Australia when I tried to do South African. But, uh, yeah, the best South African I've ever heard from a, someone who isn't from there was uh, actually Leonardo DiCaprio in uh, Blood Diamonds. And uh, he did it, he nailed it, man. I was impressed. But how do you, in South African, it's not Blood Diamonds, it's Blue Diamonds. It's Blue Diamonds. So dialect is probably another thing well, when you, if you're doing yeah. accents Blue, and stuff like Blue that. Blue Diamonds. But anyway, but, uh, but yeah, go to VoicePack.net, listen to what's on there, and you'll pretty quickly go, I kind of sound like that guy, and that guy, and that guy. And, uh, and there's no copyright issues. If you hear a chunk of a commercial on someone's demo reel, and it's right in your alley, and you think that that might be something you'd like to put on your demo reel, write it down, 
you know, you said you're, as long as you're not selling it, there's no copyright issue. So you can you can steal from the best. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, but that's a, that's a place I would start is just to see, and you'll you know, if you're honest with yourself, uh, you'll start to kind of figure out where you stand. You know, if you record what you do, do your version of, of some of the, the demos you hear on, on VoiceBank and listen to them. If you're honest with yourself, you'll be like, okay, I'm better than that guy, or I'm not. I need more work. So, you know, when you get to the point though where you can go, I sound as good as 15 of these guys' demos, well, there you go. And sometimes it helps to, to know a person like me who actually, I mean, I do production of commercials and, and things like that. And, you know, I've helped Brandon out and he'll send me demos from time to time. Hey, how do I sound doing this? Or how do I sound in this commercial? And, or he'll shoot me the script ahead of time and say, how would you approach this type of script? And he's very blunt. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, I, and I tell people that all the time. I actually, one of my daughters, one of Sandy's friends uh, came to me a couple weeks ago and I had helped one of my daughters other friends, uh, she said she wanted to see if she could do this, and I worked with her for a while and kind of gave her some tips, and damn if she didn't book something a week later, and I think in the last year she's made like 10,000 bucks. And so one of my daughter's other friends said, yeah, she's doing that, I'd like to give it a try. And I was like, oh, okay, right. Because that's really rare, it's, it's unusual to find someone that, you know, well, of course I get her in the booth, and she's got a phenomenal voice. She just sounds, it was too good. I actually said, your, your problem is getting, you're gonna need to come up with- more normal. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna come yes. up with a, a, a real sort of girl next door read because what I'm hearing sounded like a, one of those, you know, female disc jockeys that has that Demi Moore sort of, hey, oh yeah, you know, raspy, lovely. And that's another reason why classes are so important because getting in front of the microphone, there's all different sorts of reads and every time a piece of copy comes down, it's gonna have very specific things that they want. And if you don't know how to do it, there's a major difference between a, a radio read and a guy next door. Yeah. And so many people will get in front of the microphone and go, oh, I could do that. And you can't, it's, it's a big jump to learn how to just speak in front of the microphone. Well, and I'm, honestly, that's my, one of my weak points is I'm just not really great at sounding like a real human. <laughs> no, I mean, even when I try, there's, you know, I mean, this is my voice. I've got some, I've got a pitch in there that, and a tone that sounds, you know, 30% of the way toward disc jockey or something. And it's hard to get rid of that. And I can do it if I have a little time to work on it, but generally, you know, if it's that kind of commercial, they don't pick me. They they go with somebody. Well, that sounds more like Brandon. You know, he can do a he can do a real person far better than I can. Um, but you know what Isaac was saying. I you know I actually I'll be sending her to you in a few weeks. Okay. But uh, yeah, she you know she's she's you know if I work with her for a few more hours, she's got a few pieces that are good enough to play for somebody, and, and we'll help her to find an agent. But always. Um, and I don't want you to pasteurize it too much, but uh, I always tell people, you've got a resource in town and no one ever thinks to call a recording studio and talk to an engineer. Those guys do more voiceover work in terms of just dealing with it on a day-to-day -day basis than I'll ever do. I mean, this is what he does day in, day out, day in, day out. He sits and, and cuts and mixes and 
records, people, music, yeah. consonant, whatever. I mean, we'll so you know, find uh, find find Isaac or someone like Isaac and and uh, talk to them and say, I'd like to get into voiceover work. How do I do that? He'll he'll he she will have some resources and they'll know what ad agencies are the big ones in town. They'll know uh, what vocal co coaches there may or may not be. Uh, you know. So start with some local recording studios and see if you can engineer to talk to you. Because eventually you're gonna need an engineer you know, to put a demo reel together. Because uh, they can work some magic. You know? And not only that, as, as an audio engineer, when you work with people enough, or if they, not that they're pestering you, but as long as they stay in my mind, if I ever have a, 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 an ad agency call me and say, hey, I'm looking for blah, 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 voice. And I'm not really a talent agency, but I'll go, Oh, I know so-and-so that can do that. Oh, I know so-and-so that can do this. And I'll give them a call and I'll book a gig for them. And sometimes, you know, beyond the, the agency that they, that they may have. So, I mean, that's another great relationship to have with, with an engineer is that you, you know, if, if you're there, if you're, you know, again, not pestering, but just that you're, you've developed a relationship or friendship or something. Then you stay on the top of their mind. Like there have been gigs for, for Brandon and somebody will come up and say, hey, uh, I need just normal guy next door. Oh, I know a guy. Let me give him a call, and he just he'll, he'll come in do an audition read. The the director will go, yep, that's it, that's the one. All right, let's go with. And he books the job. So don't yeah, you have great resource here in Kansas City. We have a lot of recording studios here. And bother them, bother them, bother them, bother them <laughs> until they say yes. Find their home right? phone number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. Um, Tom, one of the things that we're gonna, I'm gonna maybe shoot back here in a little while and start working on that video. Um, when it comes to ADR work, uh, cartoons, what would you, what do you, what's kind of a tip that you would give people? Well, ADR work, if you're not familiar with that term, it's basically, it stands for additional dialogue replacement. But it's kind of a catch-all term for pretty much any voice that's <clears throat> added after the fact. It can cover something as simple as, uh, you know, Tom Hanks is reading a line in, in a movie in some scene, and it's terrific in every way, but you can hear an airplane in the background, or someone drops, drops a soda can, you know, in the back of the stage, and you hear a clunk. So they have to replace it, and the director's like, man, that's just the perfect scene, but I, the damn soda can. So they'll bring, you know, Tom Hanks or whoever it is back in and he'll re-record that line and, and they work with, you know, microphone placements so it doesn't sound like you're in a studio, it sounds like you're in a location or whatever. And they, they'll mess with it and make it sound like it's just part of the line that he read when he filmed it. And uh, then the engineer gets a hold of it and he makes it match, you know, and, and, it, and most of the time none of you have a clue um, uh, approximately 5% of, of the average feature film, the dialogue's been replaced uh, after the fact. And again, hopefully you, you don't notice it. You only notice bad ADR. And so that's one, that's one part of ADR. The other thing that ADR encompasses is cartoons uh, where they're from another country, Japan almost exclusively, and they need to put in American or British or whatever voices. That's also considered ADR. Um, uh, that's tough because foreign languages 
Each one has its own rhythm, its own cadence. Um, for instance, Spanish is 20% longer than English. To say the same thing in Spanish takes 20% more syllables. So that's why sometimes if you, you know, watch, uh, if someone's doing a parody of, of Mexican television or, or you know, Spanish television, they always, that's the thing they always pick out first is how fast they talk. You know, so it's like the reason they're going so fast is because yes, it's like two tacos. It's yeah, he might know he might know some real words, but yeah, you're, you're you know you're going twenty percent faster if you're speaking Spanish, so they got to squeeze it in. They talk faster. So um, Japanese is the same way. It's it's faster. I mean, it takes more time to say the same thing in Japanese, and uh, it's. Again, very different. They put the nouns in a different place and the adjectives in a different place. And so that's why sometimes anime sounds weird when you're watching, especially anime from you know the 80s and 90s when it was a fairly new thing. You know, that's why sometimes, oh, they talk like this, oh, we're, we're gonna go down the street and save it, yes, oh, oh, oh. you know, I mean, it's a, you know, very awkward uh, dialogue. Well, that's because they're trying to match everything, the yeah, match that loop. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm, I'd like to take two volunteers. Uh, the scene that we're going to be using is uh, Darth Vader and a guard. So who would like to play Vader? It's kind of hard to see. Yeah. Your folks betray you. Why don't you, you yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing the picking. I can see you, so I'll, I'll grab you as Vader. Who wants to play my guard? I'll take you in the Captain America. All right. So just meet me in the back over there, and we'll, 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 we'll get it rolling here. So, so we're going to have Tom do one the first time and then switch. Okay, so what am I you doing? Which, one, which character am I doing first? First? Yeah. Stairs. You can rehearse this very well. I'm just going to work with these two guys. You guys are Okay. Okay, so Tom, what needs to go into it? Um, the, the main thing that people do wrong when they do demos is they think it's an opportunity to show how insanely clever they are. Uh, and that sometimes people will like make up fake products like they do on Saturday Night Live, you know, where, you know, new colon blow will help you, you know, and uh, they're trying to be funny. Well, they're not hiring you to be funny. They're not hiring, well, at least not as a writer. They're not trying to find someone that can do a parody or something, they want a voice. Uh, so, only do real products, um, and like I said, you can copy anything you find on the internet or on television, find something that sounds like you, write the script down, and replicate it. You know, go to, go to a studio, have an engineer find music that sounds like that Chevrolet commercial or that, you know, Betty Crocker commercial, and, and just do your best to recreate it. Try to make it sound as absolutely real as possible. So no fake products. Don't don't try to do a commercial that's 40 seconds long because there are no 40 second long commercials. Um, and you know, like I said, do everything you can to make the producer who's listening to your demo think you did those. That's a real spot because that's what everybody has to do at first. I, you know, when I, my first demo I put together, it was just me doing silly voices and, and I put it on a cassette and, you know, I was 15 years old and I started mailing them around to ad agencies in Kansas City. So, um, 
and that's fine. That's all they need to hear. Uh, secondly, pick a a a voice. You, you have to find your voice. You have to find something that you can do that is basically you, and and then just do variations on that theme. There, you know, I, again, I've heard demo reels that are five minutes long, and by the time I'm done listening to this person's demo reel, I'm going, I have no idea what this guy does. He's, he's got a British accent, he's got a French chef, and he's got, tries to do three other, you know, Chevy truck commercials, and it's just all over the place. And the impression you come away with is, okay, he's got a lot of different things he does, but you don't come away with a kind of singular impression. And you need to do that. You need to, you need to have basically someone who listens to your reel and goes, okay, I, I know what this guy sounds like. Obviously, you want to put some range. You, you do one that's a little lighter and maybe friendlier and happier and one that's a little more storytellery and older and one that's, but it's still basically the same guy. Now, if you do phenomenal character voices, if you really are good at doing dialects and characters and whatever, well then you do a second reel. You do a separate reel. It's just that. Um, I have seven different reels because I do different things. And I, uh, I learned very early on that because of the breadth of the stuff I do, it was confusing producers. My agents said they, they, they actually had producers that called up and said, which one of these is Tom? Because they didn't realize I was this all me. Hey, Joe. Some of it sounded so different, they didn't realize the same guy. So, yeah. So this is sort of like every time you go into a booth, you're gonna do it over and over and over and over. And then after you do it 30 times, you're gonna go, you know what? We're gonna go with that first one. <laughs> I, I did a session one time uh, that they didn't know, they had no clue what they wanted. We got up to like take 40 something, and between the beginning and take 40 something, I'd gone to about four different places, you know, in terms of voice. And they were so different that at about take 40, I finally just stopped the guy. I said, okay. I said, you, you do realize that nothing we're doing right now will match anything we recorded in the first 45 minutes of this session. And nothing I did 15 minutes ago will match any of it. And nothing I did, I mean, it was so different. And the guy looked at me like, well, why won't it match? I'm like, because they're comp I did completely different reads, paces, whatever. And uh, he didn't get it. I mean, he didn't hear it. So, you know, uh, and that's my bad. You know, I should have 15 minutes into it gone, you, you know, I should have said that after take 10 you do realize that this will not match takes one through five. And it just kept going. So I don't even know what they ended up doing because this, you know, by the time we got take 40, it was five minutes away from the session ending. And they said, we've got another client coming in, you gotta leave. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> call my agent if you need to do it more. And I, I have no idea whether they ever got enough out of that to make a real commercial. But uh, they never called me back, so. <laughs> but, uh, any questions? Anything in particular? Yes? When creating a character, what do you do to keep consistency? Oh, to, how do you keep a character voice consistent? Um, well, you, you know, the simple fact that you got booked to do it, 
means that you, you've seen it, you've read it, you auditioned with it um, several times, and whatever it is you did, they liked best. So whatever voice you did to get the job in the first place is, is just by default going to be something you do, and you do fairly well, fairly easily. Because um, when someone's having a really hard time you know, doing a character or any voiceover, it kind of shows. I mean, it, you know, they just, it doesn't sound great if it's something that's out of, out of their wheelhouse, you know, that's a real stretch for somebody. It sounds like they're having a hard time doing it. So, you'll, you just kind of find out that it, it's there. I mean, you know, if, it, if uh, like I said, it's, you, that's why you're in the booth, is because they liked what you did. And so it's actually very easy to recreate it. You know, it's just, in terms of consistency from episode to episode and season to season, yes, the, you do have, have to kind of sometimes listen to what you did last year because characters do drift. I mean, if you listen to the first season of The Simpsons, ugh, <laughs> terrible. I mean, seriously, uh, compared to what they did later, it, you're not, it doesn't even sound like the same actors. It's that different. Um, you know, so characters do evolve, and they do drift, and they do, you know, uh, change, usually on purpose. I mean, you know, the actors, as they get more familiar with the character, will start to, you know, they will, they'll find out that this is funnier than that, or this is more dramatic than that. So they'll tend to go in that direction, which often does lead to the character changing a bit. But, you know, I mean, I'm not really answering your question. I wouldn't say that you'll find that it's pretty easy to keep a character fairly consistent because it's you. It's something coming out of your head and your throat. So it's obviously something you're, you can do. Um, I, I always liken various voices to just computer programs. You know, if, if you've got a desktop full of programs and you click on that one, it starts playing. Well, your brain's the same way. Once you've got something in your head that's familiar and it's a character you know and you can re replicate on command, it's just like a computer program. It's just there. You can just start doing it. So, it, and that's, you know, it's not a special gift. It's pretty much just, you know, we're all capable of that. In, in some way. I mean, just think of anything you do that you do on a daily basis and realize, I haven't thought about how I do that in two years. I just do it. I'm on autopilot. Well, the voices are the same way. So. And own it. I mean, own that voice. They picked you because they wanted you. So you need to be confident in that and go, you know what? I'm here because I deserve to be, not because I got lucky. Yeah. So, yes. Hi, I'm just very active in the advertising world here in Kansas City. I was just super curious, which was your first ad agency here in Kansas City that hired you? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was either, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Bernstein Rain. Well, back then it was called Bernstein Rain and Bozberg. Yeah. Now it's just Bernstein Rain. I don't know what happened to Mr. Bozberg. I guess they finally caught up with him, but I don't know, but, uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, it was, a, it was a public service announcement for the American Cancer Society, a fundraiser here in Kansas City. It was 1976, I believe, and I was 15 years old. And um, it was just, it was, it was a kind of a comedy of errors because I just was a bored teenager and 
Oval Park, Kansas in 1976, and it was 100 degrees out and 99% humidity, and there was nothing to do. So, you know, I'm watching, you know, back then it was ABC, CBS, NBC, and Channel 41. That's it. And they all went off the air at midnight. So uh, I just was bored and I thought, well, that may be a hoot to hear myself on TV or radio because all the local commercials back then, and to some extent still today, are done by FM disc jockeys. You know, it just kind of comes along with the radio buy. You spend $100,000 on radio time and the DJs will do your commercials for you. Um, so everything sounded exactly the same. It was all the outcome of the Waterman Gallery, the Sundays, you know. And, um, you know, I, I just started calling local advertisers and saying, hey, I, I do all these silly voices and stuff, and I think I sound better than the guys you have doing whatever you're doing. And, you know, if you want me to do it, I will. I didn't know anybody got paid for it. I, it didn't, that didn't even enter my mind. But um, Bernstein Rain was, at the time, the agency that was doing the American Cancer Society commercials. You know, they did it for free. They didn't charge because it was charity. And all ad agencies do that. They have a certain number of clients that are charity things that they just do to, you know, help the community. And uh, the American Cancer Society was one of those. So uh, they thought it was a really nifty thing that a professional voiceover guy was offering his services and not knowing I was a 15-year-old who'd never done this before. And uh, I had to have my daddy drive me down to the ad agency, I mean, the uh, recording studio because uh, I didn't have my driver's license yet. And of course they walk up to him. They're handing my dad the copy and he's like, that, that, that's the guy that called you. And I'm, you know, my fringy cut off Levi's and my white tennis shoes. My Stan Smiths were half green from cutting lawns for a buck a piece. And anyway, so I, uh, it almost didn't happen. They were like, they were kind of PO'd that I, they thought I'd misled them or something and that they rented the studio and, you know. And I was like, well, I'm here, you know, I can do it. I certainly can't sound as bad as what you had. And, because, uh, you know, I was 15, I had no concept of tact. <laughs> I think I actually used the word sucked. <laughs> yeah, your commercial really sucked. And, uh, so, but, uh, well, they were on the other side of the glass, sort of, you know, the poor guy that had me come in was getting his butt chewed by the creative director. And, uh, I just kind of interrupted and said, uh, do you want this in some kind of accent? I didn't know the term dialect. I said, accent. And the guy's like, it's the talk back. He goes, what? I said, well, I, I, I was thinking this might sound good like the Pepperidge Farms commercials, which were at the time done by a very elderly man from New England. And the guy goes, you, you can talk like a 75-year-old man from New England. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> Can't everybody, you know? <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, let's hear that. So I, you know, I again, I I wasn't bragging and I wasn't trying to be. I just it's just something I could do. I mean, wait, 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 wait. Some of you can play chess. I can't play chess. Let's hear a seventy-five-year-old man from every weekend. A couple dozen Kansas City families have a couple dozen garage sales. And on July 1st and 2nd, a thousand Kansas City families are going to have just one garage sale. A very big garage sale. A sale so big, as a matter of fact, it'll make the walls of the Glenwood Manor Convention Hall bulge. We call it the Kansas City Garage Sale. All the proceeds go to the American Cancer Society. And all the bargains, well, those go to you. 
but you know, the, most voiceover people are just you. You know, and I'm, you know, he and I are, we're just you. People that grew up in Kansas City, and now we're doing this. So you'd be amazed at how many people, like he said, if you you know get a hold of, you know, this guy's been Porky Pig for twenty some years, and a, a ton of other. He's done a hundred Scooby Doo's and whatever, and you can email him, and he'll listen to your demo. Um, so, you know, you, you, there's a ton of us out there that if you could find a way to get to us and we do have the time, we'll, yeah, we'll listen to your demo and we'll say, number one sucks, don't use that, number three is great, you know, and so, um, you know, it, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a different group of people and we're a lot more helpful than, than you might be expecting, so. But uh, unless you sound like me, in which case I'll tell you you're awful and just go for a job. They may be cutting us off. As a born mimic like yourself, here in the Kansas City area, there's so many voices bouncing around through my head. Where do I start here? Who do I, where do I start here? What would be my next step to say, I want to do this? He knows more about that than I do. First of all, don't do impressions. If they want Yoda, they're gonna call Tom. If they want Bugs Bunny, they're gonna call Mel. No, it's not Mel anymore. Bob Burger. Bob, does Bob do Burger? Oh, no, wait, what'd you say? Who does Bugs now? Oh, Bugs? Oh, well, Billy West. Billy West, the guy who was the best died a couple years ago in a, like a shootout in front of a Fleabag Hotel in LA with some hooker in the room. It was really weird. Very Los Angeles story. Everybody was making these really dark jokes about, I wonder when he uh, finally was taken out, was he, you know, <laughs> going, yeah, watch up there. <laughs> but yes, uh, I don't know, Billy West, I think, is doing it now. Yeah, and, you know, it's, you can get a cheap USB microphone, you can find a ton of good free recording software, put it down on there, get going to where you can be comfortable in front of a microphone. I guarantee you, every one of you, if you step in front of a microphone and try to just talk, you are going to sound like this every single time. It is a huge difference, and that was the hardest thing I had to. There's um, Don Miller of Airborne Audio yes. did my training. That's how I met Isaac. with him all the time. Way back, what, three, four years ago, I was where you guys were sitting. I talked to Tom, I, I, what did I do? I bugged the crap out of you. And finally, he's like, call this guy, and you'll be okay. And I called him, and one thing led to another, and before I even had my first demo done, I booked my first commercial. And commercial after commercial came, I moved out to LA. I almost died in LA. Not like <laughs> That's another story, but <laughs> um, not in a shootout with a hooker in the room. It was a different <laughs> thing. It may have been a better way to go. <laughs> but you gotta practice. You gotta get out there, you gotta do it. And then once you do it, reach out to someone like Isaac. They'll, they'll teach you, and don't make your own demo. That's one of the biggest things we'll get an agent yeah. to go, ah, nope. Reach out to someone who can do it. Get it done, then start shopping for those agents, and they'll come. One of the things you have to realize, you know, everyone thinks it's, it's impossible to get an agent and voiceover work. And, and it's not. You, that's how they make their money. They get 10% of your behind uh, from every job you do. They, not, they love nothing more than playing an MP3 that someone emailed them and, and expecting, yeah, it's gonna be the third one I got today, and it's gonna be another, damn, he's good. They, they want that, they love that. 
So believe it or not, you send a demo reel to an agent, they will listen to it. But you gotta make sure it's good because the second time you send one, they won't listen to it if the first one sucked. So, like I said, that goes back to having someone who knows what they're doing that will make them sound like real commercial. Another small thing, I wouldn't go more than, don't, I, just my opinion, don't go more than 90 seconds. Two, three, four minute demo, complete waste of time because if you can't show them what you do in 90 seconds, they're not listening anymore. I, I, if someone sends me a demo, I listen to it honestly, 30 seconds, 40 seconds. And I can tell in 30 seconds whether this person has any chance whatsoever of doing anything with this demo or going anywhere. So I don't need five more minutes. So you put your best piece first, you put your second best piece like third, maybe the third best piece at the end in case someone does get to the end, it finishes strong. Uh, and don't put whole commercials on, just you know, take 10 seconds from this one, and six seconds from that one, and 18 seconds from that one, and about 90 seconds. So, and like I said, if you're really good at characters, make a completely separate reel. All right, we gotta get going, you guys. All right. Thank you guys so much for you guys. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we 